Hello, all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. I hope that you're having a wonderful week and that this moment is a moment that adds something to that week, that it's a moment to stop and catch your breath, yes, but that you'll also be able to think on some things that get you thinking on all the right things. At church on Sunday, one of our pastors, CZ, he got up for the announcement time, and I love that he paused and prefaced the announcements with this statement. I don't actually remember exactly what he said, but the spirit of it was like, hey, I'm getting ready to tell you about all the goings on of our church over the next week or so. And these are not just announcements. These are things that we believe in and that we offer because we want the gospel of Jesus Christ to be front and center and to go forth. And I love that he said that because so often the announcements are just that thing you sort of shuffle around in your seat through, you check your texts and you silence your phone, you put a piece of gum in your mouth. But him intentionally prefacing it made me truly stop and listen to the announcements. I love that he said that the gospel would be front and center and then it would go forth. It made me think of y'all and how that's my hope for each and every one of these podcasts, that the Spirit of God would meet you right where you are, like only He can. And He's been so faithful to do that, it seems, as I have heard from so many of you. And that whatever story I'm telling or verse I'm referencing, that the gospel would be front and center for you today. I love following She Reads Truth and one of their posts recently stopped me in my tracks. It was Jeremiah 1.12. It says, Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. What a beautiful reminder today that He's watching over His word to perform it, to make sure it's accomplished. Even in this podcast today, I'm counting on Him to watch over it and accomplish His Word in us today. I love that. I got to see my sister-in-law this past weekend, which is so fun. She brought the girls, my nieces, to the house while my brother Eric was doing a wedding out of town. And the cousins are truly the sweetest of friends. It's actually really precious. I think I've told you before, but we call the oldest cousins, our Noah and their Adeline, the bigs. And then we call our Ellie and their Julia, the middles, And when they were littler, we would always say, can y'all go get the middles from Narnia? Because they would just literally disappear for hours and hours at a time. And we'd always joke that they were somewhere in Narnia. And then the youngest two, our Annie Rose and their Lily Claire, are the littles. Although recently, they have also been nicknamed Squalline, as in a wall of storms moving through. Because when they enter and leave the room, you just know it. The littles have no joke FaceTime every single day for the past several months, sometimes actually multiple times a day. It's literally the sweetest thing. So when they saw each other this last time for this past weekend, they literally tackled each other. We used to live in Atlanta all together, and the past few years that we've been back in Franklin and they've been back there have been wonderful, but we've obviously missed getting to see our family more. And I will say this, the absence has definitely made their hearts grow even fonder of each other. My oldest niece, Eric and Kristen's oldest daughter, Adeline, was here to record the vocal for her new song coming out this spring called How Can It Be Time Already, a song about how she's getting ready to graduate from high school and start her journey into adulthood. 
So get your Kleenex box ready. That's all I'm saying. But Adeline's been recording several songs with her uncle Nate, my husband, over the last several months. And you definitely need to look it up if you haven't yet. You can find her at AdelineHill.com. She's truly extraordinary. But anyway, Kristen was telling me about them going to church a few weeks ago and a moment that they had as a family around receiving communion. And she said that the elders of the church kind of just gathered small groups of people as they came forward in the line, and they gave each person the bread and the cup. And while looking them in the eye, they said to each person as they handed them the cup and the bread, they would look them in the eye and say, Jesus's body and his blood, it was enough for you. It was enough. And she said, with like tears starting to form in her eyes as she was telling me about it, how meaningful and precious it was to them that day at church to have someone look them in the eye and remind them that Jesus is enough. His body and His blood, it was and still is enough for us. If I could sum up what I'd love for today to be about, it would be that, just that emotion that was in Kristen's eyes of just that remembrance and someone even looking you in the eye and telling your heart today, Jesus is enough for you. We're going to pause this week from our Heart Posture series to come around just that and the beauty of Easter together. I don't know about you, but Easter always evokes emotion in me. Even ever since I was a little girl, it has always felt, you know, alongside of celebrating Jesus's resurrection, that it was also somehow a resurrection of life as we knew it. And this year, even though I'm not so little anymore, it feels just as precious to me and just as present. There's even something about the turning of the season around this time and how it brings with it such expectancy and wonder. I'm seeing the signs that winter is indeed beginning to fade, you know, as sprigs of new life begin to show their pretty little heads in all the right places. Of course, we got a March snow dusting only a week or so ago, and I just saw that snow is in our forecast coming up, so winter is still making its presence known all the while the daffodils have shown up early again to the party, as always. But looking back, winter was necessary. It always is. So much in me needed to lie dormant. I like to think of it as being in a cocoon of hope. My kids would literally cringe if they heard me say that just now. In fact, Nathan just cringed. (laughs) So I don't think I'll be naming my next album Cocoon of Hope. (laughs) But you get what I'm saying. Winter is us being wrapped in hope for what's to come. Knowing we'll emerge from this season with new eyes and ears and hearts You would not believe all the pictures of amaryllises that I get all winter. So many friends and friends of friends holding on for dear life through the winter. And God and His goodness and His creativity in the cold, harsh winter gives us these bright red flowers that thrive in winter. When all the world around lies barren, it's such a beautiful picture and a reminder and a beacon for us that life pushes through and blooms in winter even still. And so can we. I'll take with me some precious memories from this winter, ones that have marked me forever. As I've shared before, even those mornings where I found myself bent over in the bathtub with my face almost touching the water, wondering what in the world God was doing, wondering if my hearing would return, trusting Him through something so scary, yet it's so precious to me somehow. It gave me the distinct privilege of being utterly desperate for Him, 
I'll never take that lightly, and I don't want to forget it or push forward into spring without taking that memory with me. And therein lies the tension. Spring beckons, but winter says, don't forget. Winter says, remember when I wrapped you tight beneath the covers and you were still enough to watch snowfall. Remember how I taught you lessons that the busyness of spring could never bring. Remember how God used me to bring His voice so close. We've been talking about how movement is healing. I believe a beautiful part of moving forward is remembrance of where we've been. It's like the circle of lament. My sister-in-law, who I just mentioned, we've talked about this many times. All throughout Scripture, you can see it, but it's very clear in Limitations 3. It's a passage that has actually become pretty dear to me, which might sound kind of strange when you hear it. But there was a time in my life when I was in such turmoil that this passage actually felt familiar to me, close to home even. I'll never forget this moment standing in our bedroom. I had just received such a blow from someone who I was supposed to be able to trust, to lean on, to look to even. I couldn't even believe it really. I couldn't comprehend it. I stood there on the far side of our bed and Nathan walked in the room and he looked at me knowing what kind of pain I must have been in. And this wasn't the first blow. This was after many blows to the heart. And I was weary. I was troubled. I remember this well because it wasn't me being dramatic when I laid my body out across our bed and sobbed out loud. It was as if my body couldn't even hold up with the weight on my heart. I literally doubled over. Nathan walked over and just put his hand on my back as I cried knowing that it wasn't even best to say anything in that moment. But he just comforted me with his hand as Jesus comforted my heart, putting his hand over my heart. I knew he was sovereign and that he would have had to have allowed such sorrow to reach me. But somehow all at the same time, he was comforting me. Lamentations 3 verse 16 says, He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. And right here's the beautiful turn that is lament. You look back up. It says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust, or the bed, or the bathwater, in my case. There may yet be hope. Skipping down to verse 55, it says, I called on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called you, and you said, do not fear. You, Lord, took up my cause, and you redeemed my life. So as spring beckons for all of us, may we move forward from winter with remembrance and even that beautiful circle of lament, looking back up at the tail end of it all, saying, yes, 
Your compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Whatever you are huddled around today, whether it's your kitchen table or your steering wheel or your morning walk, let's experience a little bit of glorious in the mundane today as we ponder the finished work of Jesus together, while we also consider our part in His death and His burial and in His resurrection. As we celebrate what Christ accomplished, let's celebrate how that resurrection life changes us. Not that we might be us-centered this Easter, that's not the point, but I do think identifying what it really means for us to abide in this risen Lord, to be united together with Him in the likeness of His death, that's from Romans 6, so that we might also understand what it means to know the power of His resurrection, that's Philippians 3. It can be such a powerful awakening to our hearts during this beautiful time of remembrance to place ourselves once more abiding in this risen Lord. The last episode, I, I read a little bit from Andrew Murray's Abiding in Christ, and I came across a chapter that I think I've underlined about every sentence of. It reminded me of a time that I got an invitation to share at a sorority house down at Georgia Tech when we lived in that area. And it was in the springtime, and I had just gotten a hold of this book through my friend Rebecca Lyons, and it was landing on me a little bit like the beginning of spring is landing on me right now. So, naturally, I feel the need to share it with you. The friend who invited me was a sweet young woman who served at our church in leading worship, and I had the privilege of getting to lead and mentor her along with several other women for a brief time while we were there. And when she invited me to come share at the Swarty House uh, where she was currently living, I didn't take it lightly. I knew enough about college life to know that even if some of the girls were believers, there were still just pressures and questions and circumstances most likely going on in each of these young women's lives. So I knew that what I really needed to do going in was to simply ask the Father what He wanted to say to them in these moments because I knew it was a privilege just to have their ear in the middle of their busy worlds. I also knew that only God could possibly know what each of these young women were currently going through I had learned that one of the girls even had just lost her father, so I knew that some of them were going through unimaginable things. Talk about counting on God to watch over His Word and accomplish it in the moment. As I had been reading and abiding in Christ, as I was telling you, a particular theme rose up from those pages, one that I didn't know much about, and I was so intrigued by it. It's this concept of the grafting of a branch to a new tree. As I began reading about grafting, I had to see it, of course, with my eyes. So I Googled tree grafting, and I was so amazed as I sat there and looked at all the images of branches being fused to a tree in hopes of bearing fruit. I actually couldn't stop there, though. I was too intrigued. So I made my way down the street to this beautiful nursery that was near our home called Scottsdale Farms. If you live in the Atlanta area, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's probably where you go get your pumpkins and maybe your Christmas tree. It's a must-see for sure. And if they still have that little lunch counter there, um, they make the best salads and sandwiches. But anyway, I found a young man who worked there that day and asked if he'd please kind of show me around and see if he could really show me a perfect example of a fruit tree that had been grafted. I shared with him the reason that I wanted to see this example, and it turns out that he was a believer and very much understood what I was wanting to see, which was really cool. And he took me into this part of the nursery where there were loads of small fruit-bearing trees. 
he was so kind and he showed me several different examples of grafting. Essentially, what happens when you graft in a branch to a stalk or a tree, both sides must be cut in order to fit together. The stalk must be cut to receive the graft. And of course, the graft has to be cut away from its origin to be placed in the new stalk. This is massively significant for us as sinners that we were cut away from our tree of origin. Romans eleven twenty four says that we were cut away from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree. And that in Christ's death, his wounding, we're grafted in. Once there's been a cutting away and a grafting in, there must then be an abiding. Let me read you a little bit from Abiding in Christ. I love this so much. Andrew Murray says, Let us try to understand this, the suggestive expression united together in the likeness of his death. This will teach us what abiding in Christ means, the crucified one. When a graft is united with the stock on which it is to grow, we know that it must be kept fixed. It must abide in the place where the stock has been cut and wounded to make an opening to receive the graft. No graft is possible without the wounding, laying bare an opening of the inner life of the tree to receive the foreign branch. It is only through such wounding that access can be obtained to the fellowship of the sap and the growth and the life of the stronger stem. This reality holds true for the relationship of Jesus and the sinner. Only when we are united together in the likeness of His death will we also be in the likeness of His resurrection, partakers of the life and the power that are in Him. Christ came and took my place. I must put myself in His place and abide there. And there is but one place that is both his and mine. That place is the cross. His place because of his free choice. My place because of the curse of sin. He came there to seek me. There alone can I find him. When he found me there, it was the place of cursing. This he experienced, for cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's Galatians 3.13. But he made it a place of blessing. This I experienced because Christ delivered us from the curse, being made a curse for us. When Christ comes in my place, He remains what He always was, the beloved of the Father. But in fellowship with me, He shares my curse and dies my death. When I stand in His place, which is always mine, I am still what I was by nature, the cursed one who deserves to die. But since I am united to Him, I share His blessing and receive His life. At the tree nursery that day, I searched and searched to find a small potted tree that would both display beautifully the grafting process, but also that could be transported down to Georgia Tech in my minivan. I chose a little pear tree with a large knot right in the middle of it. This was where the grafting took place. Once upon a time, the stalk of that little healthy pear tree was cut and wounded to receive a little feeble branch cut from a different tree from who knows where, and the two would become one. As that tiny branch took its place literally right inside that wound, it was quite possible then that it was wrapped with gauze to bind the two together. That's part of the process of grafting. I kind of can't help but think of my Christmas song here, and some of you might have already gone there. It's just as much an Easter song to me, really. It's called Wrap This One Up. And through the song, we follow the life of Jesus as the spotless Lamb of God from His birth all the way to the grave. 
But before I remind you of the words of the chorus, have you ever imagined yourself, you there, you little branch, being placed inside of his wounding and dying with him? Have you ever pictured yourself being wrapped up with him in the grave? The last chorus sings, wrap this one up. He is the lamb without blemish. Wrap this one up. He paid the price and it is finished. But death would have no sting. He rose in victory. Oh, hallelujah to the King. Have you ever pictured yourself risen with him to new life? In the middle of that pear tree that I bought that day, as I said, there was a knot almost the size of my fist. What the grave clothes started, or in this case, gauze, the life of that tree fortified. The stump or the tree that received that little branch literally grew in and through and around the place where the graft took place. I couldn't get over it. As I shared what it looked like to be grafted into Jesus that night with those college girls, I had them each get up and go put their hands on that knot to visualize what it could mean for them to have that kind of fortifying love and security in their lives right now. To die with Him, yes, but to be wrapped in hope with Him for what was to come, a new creation. If you've ever heard my album, Let It Be Jesus, you might have heard the song on that album that's called Leaning On You, Jesus, which, as a matter of fact, was written right around that same season that I found myself doubled over face down on my bed, sobbing. The bridge of that song was formed out of this study of abiding in Christ. It sings, the same grace that saved me is the same grace that keeps me. It's interesting, in the midst of my deepest disappointment in man or people, Jesus was capturing the deepest place of my heart over how wide and how long and how deep and how high is the love of Christ and how much I could lean into Him in a place of blessed keeping. You might have seen before that we call our land out here in Franklin Keeper's Branch. We have 12 acres, which remind me of the 12 stones of remembrance or memorial stones after Joshua led the people over the Jordan. And Keeper's Branch is a play on the name of our road, but it also speaks to a place of abiding, remembering that He's the keeper of the branch, and there's no keeper like Jesus. This is kind of just a side note. I just thought of this, but our pastor Darren this past Sunday was talking about how sometimes our deepest place of wounding speaks to exactly what God is calling us forth in. Sometimes our deepest place of wounding speaks to exactly what He's calling us to. So if there's pain there, there actually might be power there. If you let God's Spirit in to heal it, and then you let Him use it. I don't even think I'd be doing this podcast right now or that there'd be a lullabies for the beloved album or a song called Wrap This One Up if I hadn't had that moment laid out across my bed. Just like those moments this past winter too are keeping me walking forward into spring, even now. As you walk forward into Easter, my prayer for you is that you will remember your place in the celebration, your place in the life This is the gospel front and center for you today to find your place in this incredible story. It's not self-serving of us. It's biblical of us. It's Galatians 2 of us. For I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's very Philippians 3.10 of us. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That last part simply means if there's any way to get in on the resurrection, I want to. And that's the invitation. That's the gospel. You're invited to get in on it. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. This changes everything for us forever. And it's in that resurrection life that we get to abide by faith alone. No striving, just resting. I mentioned She Reads Truth. I was reading in their Lent study for this year, which you can follow along with them right now, even up to Easter on SheReadsTruth.com. Amanda Bible Williams wrote something so beautiful on day one of that study. She wrote, from the moment our first parents were deceived by the serpent, we have been striving. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, God told them in Genesis 3.19. And so we toil Whether sitting at a desk or plowing the land, studying for classes or scouring job listings, growing children or crops or companies, the work is not easy, and truth be told, it overtakes us. It is no surprise then that this is how we view the work of our salvation, as a matter of toiling and striving. If achievement and acclaim are our chief end, effort is our primary means. That is the world's gospel, but it is not the gospel of Jesus. The salvation offered by God and Jesus Christ does not follow the world's rule of merit. All of Scripture is a story of God's unearned love and God's unmerited faithfulness towards a rebellious people. It is an Exodus story where the primary job of the rescuee is to trust the rescuer. Isaiah 30, 15 says, The Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, You will be delivered by returning and resting. Your strength will lie in quiet confidence. I pray that you've been able to have a little bit of a reset today in your heart and in your mind as Easter approaches and that you spend some time with your family remembering your rescuer from this place of returning to rest and returning to this place of strength being in your quiet confidence in your rescuer, in your risen Lord. I want to leave you with this, one more excerpt from the book, Abiding in Christ. It pairs so beautifully, I think, with what Amanda wrote. It says, Abiding in Christ is not a work that we have to do as a condition for enjoying His salvation, but rather a consenting to let Him do all for us, in us, and through us. It is a work He does for us as the fruit and the power of His redeeming love. Our part is to simply yield to trust and to wait for what He has promised to perform. It is this quiet expectation and confidence resting on the word of Christ that in Him there is an abiding place prepared, which is so sadly lacking among Christians. For when He says, Abide in me, He offers Himself, the keeper of Israel, that neither slumbers nor sleeps with all His power and love as the living home of the soul where the mighty influences of His grace will be stronger to keep than all of the disciples' tendencies to be led astray. The idea so many Christians have of grace is this. 
that their conversion and pardon are God's work. But now, in the gratitude of God, it is their work to live as Christians and follow Jesus. There's always the thought of a work that has to be done. And even though they pray for help, still the work is theirs. They fail continually and become hopeless. No wondering one. As it was with Jesus who drew you when he said, come, so it is Jesus who keeps you when he says, abide. The grace to come and the grace to abide are both from him alone. Thank you so much for listening today. If you are a patron of the podcast, which literally means that you're backing this podcast and making it happen, we want to thank you. I so loved getting to see so many of you on the West Coast tour and getting to see you face to face and hug you and thank you for pouring into this project. And even more than that, you are helping the gospel to go forth and to be front and center in people's lives today. So thank you so much for that. Your journal prompts, which will be a little bit of a deeper dive into today's episode on abiding are available now. Thank you so much for sewing into this podcast. And to all of you from our shivering little daffodils out here at Keeper's Branch to yours, happy Easter and probably spring break too. I'll talk to you soon.